Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, Must Have Seen TV listeners. This episode is brought to you by... Hashtag John Aston Day, which is the very fun Twitter event that I did last week for John Aston's birthday. And I wanted to hop on here up front just to let everyone know about the John Aston Fund at Johns Hopkins University in Medicine, which is not an official anything for this podcast. It is just a charity thing uh, that is very much associated with the episode that we're doing today. And I just want to plug it because I love John Aston and it is a good cause. They are trying to raise $50,000 for the John Aston Fund, which will enhance the theater studies programs at Johns Hopkins, where John Aston has been teaching for like the last 20 years. You can go to, oh man, the, the URL is very long, but you go to the Must Have CTV uh, Twitter page where I will have links to where you can look at the John Aston Fund and hopefully donate as well just to keep his name alive. He is also still alive and he is also still working there, so help him out. Help the, help the theater department out. And now, without further ado, I'm Dickens. He's Finster. <laughs> It's funny! It's time for Must Have Seen TV, the podcast dedicated to the sitcoms of the 20th century. From my love, the News Radio, I'm your TV guide, Brett White, and also a reporter producer for Decider.com. This week I'm joined, once again, triple guest? No, this is the fourth, fourth? time. This is the fourth time. Oh my god, Ethan K. Hello, Ethan. Hello, Brett! Okay, because we've done What's Happening. We did Andy Griffith. Mr. Ed. And this is the, the fourth. This is the, it might be the... I mean, like, honestly, guys, go back and listen to those episodes. Go back and listen to What's Happening, Mr. Ed, and Andy Griffith Show. All great episodes. But we've got something uber special. And I, you know what? I just want to just jump on in because <laughs> just bear like through because I'm excited. Uh, this week, we're traveling to December 7th, 1962. Lawrence of Arabia rolled the box office. Big Girls Don't Cry by the Four Seasons Top the Charts. And ABC aired the I'm Dickens, He's Finster episode, The Joke. Ethan, you must have seen The Joke before today. I had never seen The Joke before today. However, we did talk yeah. on, on my last appearance here about I'm Dickens, He's Finster. A year ago. So last year I started doing the From the Great uh, TV sitcom book by Rick Mitz segment on the show where I flip through and find a 
random sitcom to talk about, and we just read. And these are all ones that only last like a season, so we would never, ever actually cover them on the show. No. But on your Andy Griffith one, you happened to land on the page with I'm Dick and C. Spinster on it, and me being me, I knew. <laughs> I'd already seen an episode, <laughs> because this is John Astin's first ever sitcom. Uh, and then in that episode, I was like, we're gonna do this show. It was going to be a bonus episode, because we're like... You know who's gonna who's gonna want to uh, out of all the shows you've done, Brett? Who would want to tune into I'm Dickensy Spencer because they wouldn't be familiar with it? Who cares? But so this is our this is our history with I'm Dickensy Spencer. Uh, so the reason we're doing this episode is because John Aston's birthday is March 30th. It was last Saturday. That dates when we're taping this, and I decided just to do uh, hashtag John Aston Day. A uh, whole day on the must-have-seen TV Twitter dedicated to John Aston and his uh, bibliography, or his uh, filmography, uh, with links to where you can actually stream all these episodes on Hulu and Prime and iTunes and Netflix, etc. Uh, and it got heat. <laughs> <laughs> it did. It, it got heat. Uh, the, the, Sean Aston retweeted it. Uh, Mackenzie Aston faved it. He might have RT, but I think he just faved. Mackenzie Aston's wife, I think, retweeted it. And then, from the RTs, Keith Olbermann also retweeted it. <laughs> and, and also Mike Mills of R.E.M. And now that I'm thinking about it, Sean Astin, Keith Olbermann, and Mike Mills represent, like, a trio of formative crushes <laughs> in a weird way. Sean Astin, uh, if you're listening to this, my sister-in-law loves you. She met you at C2E2 and got your autograph because she loves Teenage Mutant was, Ninja yeah, Turtles. I was going to say, it's the Ninja Turtles. It's yep. not Lord of the Rings. No. What think? It is. Ninja Turtles. Turtles. So, I mean, like, so I was like, well, and then what's crazy is I got 40-ish new followers on the Must Have Seen TV Twitter account. We've been hovering around, like, 190 followers for <laughs> a solid year. Now we're up to, like, 245 or something. So, Ooh. thank you if literally any of you are actually, <laughs> actually <laughs> cared enough uh, to listen to download an episode. We are doing I'm Dickensy Spinster because of John Aston Day. Hashtag John Aston Day. Hashtag John Aston Day. Uh, so what is your history with I'm Dick and C. Spinster? Well, pretty much you just explained it. Uh, <laughs> that we, we we picked it randomly out of a book. You said, I know about this. I kind of made you choose it. I was like, no, we're doing this. Well, so we, we got to talking about it, and it, we, we had a great conversation about it. And if you can go back to the, the Andy Griffith Show episode of Must Have Seen TV, that was one of the most fun episodes to do and one of the most fun episodes to talk about. A loaded goat. A loaded goat. And we got into we got into a little bit about the whole John Aston Frank Gorshin Riddler. Yeah, which talked, is, talked uh, about Batman, uh, which is which is my wheelhouse. I love that. I, I love all that and stuff. And this this is about five years before that. Yeah, what a meteoric rise happens right after this for him. Yeah, for well, we didn't even mention Adam's family like that much. No, <laughs> it was like no, he was the Riddler for for two, for two episodes. So, uh, let's just hop right into it. Uh, this week on Must Have Seen TV, we're talking about the I'm Dickens, he Spinster episode, The Joke. The Joke. It is the 11th episode of season one and was written by Leonard Stern, Mel Tolkien, and Don Hinckley from a story by Fred Freeman and Gary Marshall. Can we unpack these names? Because this Pause. is... Yeah, let's do it. This is a gang of heavy, heavy Do you have anything about the director? Oh my god, do I ever? Okay, so let's talk about the writers first. So, okay. Leonard Stern, Mel Tolkien, and Don Hinckley. Let's start with Don Hinckley. Uh, not Don Henley. Not Don Henley. 
But uh, you might remember him, Brett, as the writer for 20 episodes of the Bob Newhart show. Oh! Uh, Wait, this, the variety show in the 60s or the sitcom in the 70s? In the 60s. Oh, yeah, that seems in this wheelhouse. He wrote 133 episodes of the Carol Burnett show. Holy shit! Holy shit. Uh, 83 episodes of Flip. Um, Flip, Flip Olsen show. Flip Olsen. And for a lot of... After about 1979 or so, he was just a writer for The Muppets. Oh my god. He wrote 96 episodes of The <laughs> Muppet Show and then, and and did the TV special Muppets Go Hollywood. Oh, wow. I'm checking this out on his IMDb page and the Wikipedia pages and everything, but this guy was a heavy hitter. Yeah. That's insane. Um, seriously, 133 episodes. Is he starting with I'm Dickens, he's Finster? Uh, that was his fourth show. Okay. Uh, he, he did uh, 159 episodes of the Steve Allen Plymouth show. So okay. Steve oh, Allen. So he was basically like one of those like late night writers. Yeah, he was like a variety a show, late night writer. writer kind of person. And honestly, that show's in this episode. And I, I'm looking, and he did one episode of the Spike Jones show. Spike Jones, very close yeah. to him. Yeah. love Spike Jones. But this was, I believe, this was his first sitcom. Wow. And he, he only did nine episodes of it. So this was starting out... I mean, nine of the, I think there were 32. So I mean, like, that's a big chunk. And he died in 81. He was only 58. Oh, oh God. Yeah. Don Hinckley. So, but, but, th- but think about that. In, in those 58 years, he did hundreds of episodes yeah, that's, of classic TV. Oh, that's nuts. God. So Just what about... 133 episodes of the Carol <laughs> Burnett show. What? But that, but that pales in comparison to Mel Tolkien. So what does Mel Tolkien do? Mel Tolkien was part of the writer's room. If you remember the infamous writer's room for... Uh, Sid Caesar. Oh, God. Your show of shows. Yeah. Uh, he wrote, again, I'm checking the numbers on IMDb, 139 episodes of your show of shows, 26 episodes of Caesar's Hour, and 13 episodes of Sid Caesar Invites You. Okay. So. That's like formative TV comedy. That is, this was, he was in the room. He was one of the big names along with Mel Brooks. Mel Tolkien. He's Mel the Tolkien. other Mel. Yeah. You had, uh, um, Neil Simon, oh, uh, right. Woody Allen, Mel Brooks, uh, God, Mel Tolkien. I uh, forget uh, the woman who was in, in uh, Night Court, and I, I her name is blank. Oh, who uh, Sally Rogers from Dick Van Dyke was based on? Yes, I. Yep. I wrote an article about this years yeah. ago, but yeah, she was the first uh, bailiff that died on Night Court. Yes, <laughs> yes, which we talked, which we did. I think she was in the pilot episode, so we've talked about her before. What I love, if you walk around New York City, and I end up doing this probably like once a year, if you walk by Carnegie Hall, the the mm. building where they had that writer's room for, for Sid Caesar has oh. a plaque oh. that, that talks about the people who worked there on your show of shows. Oh, that's amazing. Formative TV. So that's Mel Tolkien. I mean, in Leonard, addition... Leonard Stern... Leonard Stern... Get smart. Leonard Stern gets smart. I knew smart. that. Working on Get Smart. Uh, I also think it's really funny that uh, he is also the, the producer at, for Lanigan's Rabbi. What which is that? I would love to find this show because I, I, I was looking it up the is other day. Is a sitcom? And I'm like, it wasn't a sitcom. It was a murder mystery show 
starring when? Art Carney. In like the 50s? 60s? No, 1976. Oh, wow. It lasted like four to five episodes. Wait, is Art Carney Jewish? No, he was not the rabbi. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was Art Carney and his friend, the crime-solving rabbi. Okay. Wow. <laughs> you could get away with anything when you were writing for TV. Well, and also, uh, I'm Dick and C. Spencer is also Leonard Stern's show. Yeah. This is like, he is the one. So, God, we're, yeah. So, uh, if you listen to, in, in February, John Aston was actually on Gilbert Gottfried's Earwolf podcast, like the Gilbert Gottfried Colossal Super Podcast or something. Um, and they talked about this. And so John Aston told the story of how I'm Dickens, he spinster was sold. And it was very much like Leonard Stern just went into a meeting with ABC and bullshit his way through a pitch. Like he didn't have anything. And yeah. he just like, it's a, he had actually, he had recently had experience with carpenters mm-hmm. who left a ladder in his chimney. Yep. And so he just like bullshit a pitch about like, ah, they're carpenters and like mess things up. And he just like schmoozed them so well. So he was so funny. I think that's that's so crazy that back in the 1950s and 60s, you could pitch a show and say, it's about cops. Look, Car 54, where are you? Haven't had those before. Like, like, okay. You could pitch a show like, it's about carpenters. And you're like, oh, okay. Haven't done that yet. Check that profession off. Fast forward 50 years into the future. It has to be like, okay, they're carpenters, but one of them's actually a ghost. And the other one is David Bowie. And you're like, okay, (laughs) maybe I will work. And and they both work in space. Well, it's like, how is this different from the three other carpenter shows on the air at the moment? Uh, So yeah, those are the three. So then the two story by Chris, you know, what's up up with Fred Freeman? I don't know Fred Freeman. Okay, but what's up with Gary Marshall? (laughs) Uh, Gary Marshall. Gary Marshall. Gary Marshall, uh, the creator, one of the main, like, TV dynasty creators of all of the 70s. Yeah. Like, uh, brother of Penny. Director, Happy producer, Days, writer. Mark and Mindy. Pretty Woman. Gee, uh, like, yeah. He came up with the story for this. <laughs> Laverne and Shirley, Mork and Mindy, The Odd Couple. Oh, right. Odd Couple. God, we still have to talk about The Odd Couple. And Dick Van Dyke Show. Um, so then it was, this episode was directed by Norman Abbott. This is, like, this is just a, a who's who of amazing, <laughs> amazing people. Norman Abbott was the nephew of Bud Abbott. Who is Bud Abbott? From Abbott and Costello. Oh, God. Okay, and, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so he was, he was doing that. He was a, he was a, he was a comedian. Eventually, he and, and, and Lou Costello's, uh, uh, brother Enough. put together a later Kevin <laughs> Costello touring show. So, oh man, this is a real Gallagher and Gallagher situation. It's just, it's just like, it's layers within layers. Wait, so what is the Laurel and Hardy connection? Because Stan Laurel okay. is a big fan of the show, apparently. Yes. What the... And like, they tell John Aston this on the pod, on the Gilbert Goffrey podcast. What I gather is that um, Leonard Stern, the producer we talked about, who did the show with the rabbi, um, <laughs> He was getting letters from Stan Laurel, and he, okay. he he laughed it off as a joke, just being like, "This is this is a friend of mine pranking me." Yeah, because why wouldn't it be? Like that's insane. And later he uh, he found out that it really was Stan Laurel, so he would he started writing back and forth, and Stan would 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 say, "You know, I really like the show," and would give like tips and and like little gags here and there. So he was. Very tangentially involved. So this but is during so- the course of the one season it was on. Yes. 32 episodes. 32 episodes. Uh, so now, here's how Prime Video describes the episode. Okay. The 
The telling of a seemingly innocent joke leads to an all-out war jeopardizing the construction crew's bid for the coveted safety award. Ethan, how accurate is that description? Super accurate. That is... Super accurate. That is literally the entire fucking episode. And it works, and it plays so well. Yeah! Uh, so this is episode 11. I'd watched the pilot before, and I didn't, like, I didn't think it was remarkable... Um, so I didn't want to do that for this one. So I literally just, I scrolled, I trolled through the entire I'm Dickensy Spinster internet. I read Amazon reviews. <laughs> I read all the five-star reviews of the DVD box set on Amazon just to try to find anyone mention, mentioning any episode. 90% of Amazon reviews are arrived late one star. Yeah. Or could, arrive late five stars because they don't know how it works. Yeah, could could not play on my Kindle zero yeah. stars. But so I I will say the I'm Dickens He Spinster Amazon reviews were in depth, hmm. long, well written for the most part. Good. So this you know high operating uh, user base or fandom there. Um, so the only two episodes that I saw anyone single out were Table Tennis Anyone and The Joke. And Table Tennis Anyone is in the second half of season one, which has not been released. So, you know, we're still waiting on that uh, volume two DVD, Lightyear DVDs. If, if you if you look up the show, I know we both did, and this is just oh, yeah. the The webpage advertising season one is still up from it is, 2011. It is, um, it's 2011, but looks like 1999. And the, it was last updated in 2012 because they have a blog. Yes. They announced when it was released, and then they have a couple posts after that going into like into 2012. But the copyright date on it is 2019. So someone out there is keeping up. And, <laughs> and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we're probably one of only, I think, three podcasts to talk about I'm Dickensy Spinster. I did an iTunes search. Fair enough. So they should hear this. I, I should hope so. If you, hey, you, <laughs> if you are currently, hey, if you're currently uh, the domain master for I'm com or whatever, get in touch with me. I want all the secrets. Well, the other secret is that they what they were offering if you if you <laughs> yeah. pre, if you pre ordered season two or, or or bought season one, a you'd get your name in the credits for season two. Yeah. Oh, what a oh what a um swindle i don't know that never, never happened <laughs> but it would also they would also give you a postcard autographed by one of the many stars who were alive in 2011 yeah <laughs> which was all of them yeah for the most part uh, so what 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 is so special why this was such a big deal for a show that you listener have never heard of aside from that andy griffith show episode shout out that we gave it <laughs> is because this show was thought lost for i don't know 50 years they, they give a rundown of it, um, that it was presumed like that most of it had just been erased or because they used to do that all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Doctor Who fans know this plight all too yeah. well. So it was presumed to have disappeared. Um, and then they just discovered all of the original film reels for the entire series in like the mid 2000s. And so they began this painstaking process of digitizing the episodes and boom. DVDs, except for the second half. <laughs> um, what is the show about? Because really, we've already talked for you know, 17 minutes and we haven't even talked about what the show's about. The show's about two carpenters. There you go. That's it. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> uh, John Aston is Dickens. He's Harry Dickens. Um, and Marty Ingalls is Arch 
Finster. Finster. And yep. I'm Dickens, he's Finster. Boom, there you go. And that was a gag that I, I'm i guessing went through the entire series of, yeah. of somebody, random person, mistaking one for the other. Yeah, because that happens in this episode. They like three it. times. So the episode yeah. begins with a construction site. It looks like they're at a department store. Mm-hmm. There's like some mannequins. And one of the construction men is like complaining about how uncomfortable his helmet is. Um, and then John Aston comes out, right? And he's yeah. like... What are you doing with your helmet off, Mulligan? Yeah. That thing could have hit you and boom! There goes our chances for the safety award. Now put that back on. It's too uncomfortable. It's too heavy. They gotta be that way. They're supposed to protect you from falling tools and falling bricks. Also... And then bricks fall on his head. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's just classic, you know, you know where yeah. this is going. Yeah. It's fine. It's happy when it pays off. And there's like a whole bunch of falling stuff. Then, okay, and then the boss comes on. Do you want me to talk about the boss Yeah, now? so he walks on All to right. tell everyone that they're winning the safety award, that they're going to be presented with this award. The, what's like the McMillan Construction Group or something like McClintock? That's the... Um, <laughs> Mike McClintock's Construction Group. Um, all mayhem breaks out. The, the boss is played by... Frank Duvall. And Frank Duvall is... Frank Duvall... Robert Duvall's... Um, no, no, no. Frank Duvall, you will like get a kick out of this because he played Happy Kine the band leader in all episodes of Fernwood Tonight oh, and America Tonight. Okay, Martin Mull and Fred Willard. So that's the Martin Mull connection. I would love to talk about Fernwood Tonight, but it, the problem is it is not streaming anywhere except for like maybe three or four episodes on YouTube. Yeah. Um, it will never come to DVD. Wait, isn't well, there was a DVD. Um, Very expensive one, I think. I don't think... Or was it not official, or was it just a chunk of it? I, it might be a chunk of it. Yeah. The issue is because it used so much music, music okay. every episode, and they comment on it. It's yeah. not something that they can just kind of, like, take Ugh. out. In the course of 20 minutes, they might do three songs and be like, that was the Happy Days theme by blah, blah, blah. Wasn't uh. that great? You know. So, but Frank Duvall, famous not... Famous in our circles for... Happy Kind and Fernwood Tonight, but more famous as an amazing and very prolific uh, writer and arranger. Okay. He, the one that he's really famous for is he, uh, he did the arrangement for Nature Boy by Nat King Cole. Okay. Which is ginormous. Is that why, so he gets an applause break in this episode like twice. Like, the audience knows who... Oh, that's the other thing, is, um, unlike pretty much every other show in the 60s, I'm Dickens and Spencer was shot in front of a live studio audience. Whereas most all of them... So, like, 50s was live studio audience, 60s was a lot of, like, pre-tape, no audience, but, like, laugh track. And this was rare. Well, this was... Well, okay. This is 63, like, Bewitched, like, 64-ish. Because Dick Van Dyke was live studio audience, I'm, like, 90% sure. But then, like, you get into the mid to late 60s, like, all of the Adams Family was not yeah. from an audience. Be- all the ones that involve a lot of special effects. Mr. Ed, not putting that horse in front of a studio audience. You can, you can tell. Oh, definitely. But the other thing about Frank Duvall, like, Frank Duvall, like, just the more you, you unpack about this guy, he had albums. He released albums. Ah. He was an arranger for uh, Ella Fitzgerald, Tony Bennett, um, Dinah Shore. Uh, Nat Cole, he wrote the theme song to My Three Sons. Oh, wow. And The Brady Bunch. Jeez Louise. Four-time Academy Award nominee. (laughs) 
Like um, it's just like and and for and as a little side thing, he would occasionally do TV And people spots. love it. He is very good in this. He's very good. They in gave it. him a lot of stuff to do. So a bunch of falling stuff, mayhem. So after he says like we're gonna win the safety ward is when like all hell breaks loose and it's really funny. It's yeah. like this choreographed prat fall extravaganza. Someone falls in the concrete, someone yeah. falls off a ladder, and they're cause cause they're cheering, they're celebrating that they won yeah. the award. It's really good. And then we get the theme song, which is not what I was hoping it would be. Uh, is a dumpy ass like boop 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 like our Dickens who spreads the starring John Hatt. like it's very yeah. but and I was like I don't know I hear that and I was expecting something like really like razzmatazzy nah like I'm Dickens he's Finsta we're gonna do a show I'm Dickens <laughs> like that like come on <laughs> that would be great <laughs> It's not, it's not even Frank Duvall doing it. It's just no, like, it's, oh. It's a very, it's, maybe maybe season two they would have been able to, like, get the money. To, <laughs> but they didn't. Uh, it's mercifully short. They don't, yeah, they don't drag it out. Yeah, it's very quick. Um, you see a lot of, like, it's a lot of still shots of the construction office. A yeah. huge-ass fucking book. Yeah. That was huge. That was the biggest book I've ever seen. Yeah, uh... That's yeah. Nothing more to say about that big book. Like, literally, literally, literally <laughs> take, take your hand yeah. and spread all your fingers, and then like measure from your thumb to your pinky. And yeah, that's, that's the size a, of the book. It was a huge. I don't know what desk. was in that. Um, so then we get the the opening scene of the episode is them in the boss's office, and the boss is like, "Well, we're getting the award. You're gonna have to give us like we always give a speech. Here's the speech that we gave like the last or the the speech they gave last year for the acceptance speech." Mm-hmm. And, he, uh, and Harry Dickens, John Aston is, you know, see, he volunteers to do it, I think. Yeah, because they, they, they kind of make it out to be, he doesn't want to do it initially, and then they make it to be like, oh, but there are thousands of people that are going to be watching, and they say millions of people yeah. are going to be watching on TV. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> else on. And he's just going, okay, now I will yeah. do this thing. So he starts reading the speech, and it's like dry very straightforward kind of boring yeah and he's like we need to like spice it up i would need to put a joke in there and he asks his best bud arch finster do you have any jokes mar and marty ingles who plays arch finster should because he was he was well known at the time for being a a stand-up okay he was like a late night comic he was he, was, he did all the shows and boy does it show he is the stand-upiest he is the, you think of a 1950s stand-up that's marty ingles yeah. Like, he honestly, if you watch Marvel's Mrs. Maisel, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, they have that same, like, when Joel's on stage, like, they have that same kind of, like, I don't know, puckish. Well, like, I was noticing it. Ingalls is delivering all his lines to the studio audience. Yes. He's breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. And virtually, like, walking toward. he's walking yeah. towards them and doing yeah. these, these gags. It's, like, and it isn't, it's crazy, but it is very uh, magnetic. Like, he's he's really fun to watch. He's got a big... He's got, like, a... He's like a hot buddy Hackett. Yes, and... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like... I mean, I must say, like, Marty Ingalls is, like, hot. But, like, buddy... Like, he yeah. lo- he has the same kind of... He's like, imagine if Buddy Hackett was, like... Yeah. Thin, he, or, like, taller and... They can just spout the jokes. Yeah, bow, and he bow, has the bow, same... Bow. He has the same kind of, like... When you cover your teeth your, with your lips... And you're kind of like, hey, like, <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, it's got kind of like that cat skillsy. Well, it's that voice that he was really known for. And he did, he did, um, in the eighties, he was the voice of Pac-Man. Oh, right. He did more episodes yes. of Pac-Man than he did. I'm digging this Finster. Uh, um, so he basically, he's like, do you have any jokes? And then oh, Finster just goes into 
a bunch of jokes. I, I didn't even catch no, a I didn't, of them. Well, one of them was like... Sick, sick, of course, the whole world is sick. That's why we have so many doctors on television. You know we have so many doctors on television, I've watched so many medical shows, the only channel I watch now is 98.6. Uh-huh. Uh, and there's another one of... Um, I'm here, like I, I'm winning an award. See that table? I made it with my own two hands. Couldn't find any wood. How's that? Like, <laughs> they're not bad jokes. Not, I heard that he goes on a stand-up rampage. It's, it's the best way of describing it. Yeah. It's like he's challenging the audience. He's like in a battle with the audience. Audience has eaten it up. It's kind of like, imagine if every joke in Arrested Development was a full-on, like, set-up punchline joke, but it was still condensed into the same <laughs> amount of time. <laughs> I, was, like, I was wondering, like... It, because I initially thought, based on, and this is foreshadowing what we're going to be talking about, based on the comic books of the show that I read, I thought that Fenster was going to be the comic relief and Dickens was going to be the straight man. That, yeah, and that's how it's sold, too. That's what all the descriptions say. But when I'm watching it, I'm seeing more of, uh, more of an Abbott and Costello thing, where yeah. everyone loved Lou Costello being the gag guy, but Abbott got some really good jokes in there, too. Yeah. And so John Aston hits with so many jokes. And I'm wondering if that's because when I saw that, when I saw that the joke also seemed to be a Harry-centric episode, I was like, okay, well, we're definitely going to do this. And I was like, I don't know, he's described as a straight man. I even read one thing where it said, like, he doesn't have the same manic, like, performance oh as Gomez. Totally, but like, why? Maybe the other 31 episodes are outlier, or maybe this is the outlier, but, like, he's very funny in this. Oh and my very, God, yeah. like... The John Aston that I hold dear and keep uh, watching—he's easier everything. to watch God. than Marty Ingalls. Marty Ingalls—I wrote down Marty. Marty Ingalls is a performer. John Aston is an actor. Fair enough. Like that's—I think that's, and yeah. Not a knock on either of them. They both are very good. Um, so then, after we get all that joke rampage, we go to the home scene, which literally begins with. Hi, honey. I'm home. Oh. I noticed that too. I under like wrote that down. He puts his lunch pail down. Yeah, on the newspaper. Hi, honey, I'm home. Because John Aston's character is married to Emmeline Harris. Harris. Who does she ever do anything after this? Because she's really good in this. She did I Dream of Jeannie. Oh, she, she was Bellows' wife. Yes. Okay. That a lot of the Amazon things point out point that out. She. I mean, she was a working actress for a, for a I long time. I wonder if she got as good of a. She got some really good lines for a show that it's 1962, starring two men, written by five men. <laughs> didn't expect them to treat her well at all, and she got some really funny lines in this. She did. She did very. She held her own. Well. Oh, really good. Unfortunately, like she. She picked up a couple things throughout the, the years, and in the late 70s, she was going to be a regular on Three's Company, and unfortunately, she passed away. Oh, Yeah, she died God. pretty bad. Um, so he comes home, and he's basically, he's heard a joke. So John Aston uh, Dickens has heard a joke, and he want, and he's like, die. he loves this joke. He's like, this is going to be the joke I tell in front of these millions of people. He tells her the joke. Uh, well, uh, this fella, he walks into a psychiatrist's office, and he says, Doctor, for $100, I want you to answer one question. And he puts $100 down on the psychiatrist's desk, and he says, Doctor, can a man be in love with an elephant? And the doctor says, no. And the man says, well, then, do you know where I can get rid of an engagement ring this big? He holds up his hands. And he thinks this is hilarious. And then she is, like... Yeah, is that it? <laughs> dead, deadpan. Is that it? Literally nothing. And so I thought, I thought we were going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
It would have been it would have been interesting if we had an explored different territory. So this is an episode that doesn't do rule of threes. It does like it does rule of nines. Like the, oh man, and it's great. I mean, uh, so then we get John Aston's like, no, no, you didn't hear me. So let me. So then he explains the joke, like line for line, like says it again, says it again, and still nothing. Yeah, and they're at an impasse. <laughs> and then you think, okay, it's going to move on now. No, she, Kate. Her name is Kate Dickens, and she's wearing a monogrammed, like, short sleeve shirt that says KD on it. I know it. It's very 1962 homemaker. Um, so she goes to the phone. She picks up the phone. She calls someone, and then you hear her. See, this guy goes in to see a psychiatrist about this big engagement ring he's bought. <laughs> and he says to the psychiatrist, can I be in love with an elephant? And the guy says, no. And he says, well, then I'm stuck with this. <laughs> no, but Harry did. How are you going to get rid of this? Oh, yeah. Which I actually think is a better punchline. How do you, it is. Because her complaint earlier is like, well, elephants don't have toes or fingers. Like yeah. a ring. How does that even make sense? So actually her edit of it is better because it. May, like, how are you going to get rid of this? Which is inferring the engagement ring. Yeah. Oh, maybe... Whatever, you know what? Now we're dissecting the joke that's been so. And she's like, "Yeah, no, it isn't funny." I don't know. He thinks it's funny, so that's like so. Then hangs up. But wait, then, there's more. Wait, it's the boy. Okay, so then, so then, this is the line that I love. Like John Aston is like, "You killed the joke." The joke was dead when you dragged it in here. <laughs> she says it was such like blunt force, and it is so. I wrote down, Kate is good. Underline. And he's like, well, I bet you like a dime that the next person that comes here, I will tell this joke and they're going to think it's hilarious. Knock, knock, knock. And it's a little kid who, I don't know where they, they hired this kid from, but this it's, kid has like, maybe like, like a, he was haunting a Victorian home or something. Yeah, it's like, imagine, like, imagine like Bill Mummy had seen some things. Imagine if Bill <laughs> Mummy had drowned in a pond and, and they fished him out. <laughs> fished him out. Well, also the way that Norman Abbott, like Norman Abbott, does like a weird, almost like a pull focus, like a Jawsian. <laughs> he did. Like <laughs> it, like zooms into his face, and the kid's like, "Hi, I hit my ball in your yard." And so, then, but it's great then. Is John Ashton so gets good. down on his knees and he's like, "Deadpan, deadpan." So, a man goes to see a psychiatrist, and the kid just asks. And it's at that point that you realize, oh, oh, this joke is hilarious to explain to a child. <laughs> and the way, but the way that Aston presents it is like, if, if you're sitting down, like, imagine if, if a coach was talking to a team. Yeah. And during, during like halftime, it's like, he's not, okay, we're down by six points. Like, Here's this joke. You gotta get me this dime. You, you gotta, you, you've gotta get that, you gotta get that defense working. You gotta, <laughs> we are going, we are going down and no one's going home happy. Like, he, he yeah. delivers this joke with that kind of seriousness. And I'm, I'm like, I'm watching it going, oh my god, this is so good. Yeah. He, he only gets, he says like the one line, the kid goes, Davey, a man walks into a psychiatrist's office. What's a psychiatrist? <laughs> Just learn to play ball, will you, kid? And when, I want to like stress that we are that Brett and I are having a lot of fun with this episode. We're watching it and we're laughing. Yeah, and this is again a fifty-seven-year-old episode of television. Sixty-seven. 
Where literally oh John Aston is probably the only person still alive yeah. from the show. Nine, he's 89. Um, oh, I mean, I'll say this now. Uh, towards the end of this episode, I realized he's 32 in this. And I'm wow. like, I'm two years older now than he is in this episode of television. I was 32 when I met my wife and we've been married for four years. Like... It it is so wild to just think like yeah this is young, John. I mean he still doesn't look young. I mean, yeah, he kind of doesn't age for all of the sixties. I I don't need to get into John Aston's aging. <laughs> I could go on for hours. Now, I've if, seen every now, everything is on, on the flip side of the coin. Marty Ingalls, I don't believe aged very well. I've seen he pictures did. of him later in life, and it's not. He was married to Shirley Jones. Of the Partridge family. Of the Partridge family. John Aston guest starred in the episode of the Partridge family, where he played a uh, a, a millionaire, a reclusive millionaire who loved disguises. Oh. <laughs> and it was great. But um, I wonder, like, they definitely... T- I wonder if, like, did Marty come to the set? When did they get married? Were they married in 72, 71? I... Probably. That's a good question. They, um, they were married for a long time. From what I've read, they had a very troubled relationship, but they stayed together after... After numerous divorce threats uh, and and publicized couples counseling, oh. they stayed together. He he was more of a stage comedian and and a stand up comedian. And after a while, oh, they were married in nineteen seventy seven. Okay. Oh, because she was married to Jack Cassidy. Was is that David Cassidy's dad? Like was wasn't that wasn't she his step step? There is it. Are you sure it's not the Jack Cassidy who was the bass player for the Jefferson Airplane? Oh, okay. I'm clicking I, on I Jack. Jack Cassidy, children David, Sean, Patrick. Yeah. Okay, not the bass player for. Okay. okay, but I was I was looking up. You know, I looked up Marty Ingalls' obituary, and and everywhere like the headline was Marty Ingalls' husband of Shirley, Shirley Jones. Jones, not Arch Finster, not Arch Finster, not Pac Man. No, God. But that so, was fine because he, he after after he he kind of got out of the acting business and did occasional roles. He became an agent. Marty Ingalls is a good agent name. Yeah, that's a very good agent. And, name. And I, I believe he was a very good agent. So he 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 took his talents elsewhere and found success like that. So after John Aston fails telling the joke to the kid, he is so angry, and this is a great performance moment for him because. Immediately after that, Finster knocks on the door, and he, like, pulls him in. Like, the screaming anger that John Aston has, like, the contained rage, is so good. And he has to still tell a joke. Yeah. Because the the, the basis of it all is a joke that is supposed to be funny, and now... Because first he he told it serious to the kid, and now he's got to tell... Fenster, but he's also enraged. You're gonna stay here and listen to this joke. What joke? It's a bomb. It's funny. I'm laughing just thinking about it. <laughs> a man walks into a psychiatrist's office. He says, "Can a man be in love with an elephant?" The doctor says, "No." The man says, "Well, you know where I can get rid of an engagement ring this big?" Well, and no one thinks this joke is funny, and he has to go on TV. Presumably, like, tomorrow. He doesn't have to tell this joke. No, he doesn't. This is a joke that he overheard and that he wants to open his speech with. And this is when, uh, so he tells a joke to uh, Finster. And Finster, like, doesn't really respond. He doesn't want to, like, get in between it. Yeah. And he eventually is like, not funny. <laughs> yeah, he fell, he fell on the not funny side. 
And that's when it gets to the, um, you need to get out. Wait, hold on. You're telling me that you're making me leave, etc. Then, then they both say, yeah, I'm going to get out at the same time. It's just, it's just there. The timing is good. And it is, uh, this totally makes sense. Why John Aston talked about how they were cast and literally like Marty Ingalls and John Aston went to the audition together and improvised together and they cast them, I think as a pair and it shows. The chemistry is great. They're really... So, I, I'll sidebar just to talk about the fact that this show was acclaimed. Mm-hmm. Like, when it, it was called the funniest show on TV the one year it was on, um, on the <laughs> I'm Dick and C. Spencer website, they even have, like, a scan of a 1963 newspaper review where they call it, like, literally, like, the funniest episode, like, the funniest episode of television... Was that table tennis episode? Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is it was up against some really tough ratings. I'm going to look up because one of them was Sing Along with Mitch, which is a music show, um, and Route 66 on CBS. So yeah, and so it was a it, drama, and it it didn't uh, click in the ratings until after they'd already pushed the cancel button. Yeah. Uh, if you go on, so if you're like me and you spend your Saturdays just uh, typing John Aston into YouTube and watching whatever comes up, you may have seen an interview he did on, I think, American Bandstand in like 63 or 64, where he's there to promote Adam's family. Like, because he, he's, I think he jumped right to Adam's family after this. And so he's there like, yeah, I'm on the show called Adam's family now. And the interviewer was just like, cool, cool, cool. Uh, I'm Dickens Spinster. When is that coming back? Like, why did they cancel it? And like, she is on board for this show. And it really does kind of feel like it might have been the arrested development of its day, you <laughs> know, in, in a very weird way. It had the feeling, especially in the second half. Oh, yeah, which we're we have, getting to. The first half felt like this was this is a clever comedy premise. Second half, really, like when you said arrested development, like yeah. all, all the different plots connecting Start- and, and different characters having their own business <laughs> and just going off into strange tangents. Yeah. It, I gotta say, this is, of all the shows we've watched, I, f- I feel this was the funniest. I know, I feel like, even more than, What's Happening was also your choice. So it was, it was very funny. Yeah. That, but then I did make you watch Mr. Uh, Mr. Ed Goes Surfing episode. Which was. <laughs> Great. I like talking about it. Yeah. Um, so, the second half, so after this whole joke thing, you're like, well, okay, we're done with this joke. The joke, like, we're gonna move on. Act two is gonna be like the actual thing. He's gonna s- tell a different, like, no. Act two starts, the second half of the episode starts on the construction site with these two other guys, Joey and Bobby, um, put it with their arms around each other. I guess the height and how good of friends they are. Yep. And they're like, can you believe that, uh, Dickens and Fence aren't talking over some joke? Oh, what joke? Oh, you tell me the joke. Tell us the joke. One thinks it's funny. The other thinks it's dumb. They get into a fight. And then smash cut to two more people. They get into a fight. Two more people. One, like, leaves a guy hanging on a ladder because he thinks the joke is funny. Or not, if he thinks it's funny. The, uh, and then the third one, a guy picks up the other man and starts smacking him into a door because yeah. he doesn't find the There's joke funny. There's a literal, like, actual, for real stage fight. Like a... Yeah. Like, punches and, like, lunges. And then it escalates to two sides of warring gangs of construction workers with, like, wrenches and, like, wooden planks... Coming at each other, yelling, You don't think Harry's joke is funny either? No! Then what are we fighting for? Let's go get the It's Funny Guys! Yeah! 
that was it was it was shot with that zoom again, like coming in, yeah. like it's there was there was gravity to it, and it was just heightened to a point like it blew it out immediately. It, it I did not expect that to happen. That's the kind that's the kind of heightening that through years of development TV shows are doing now. Yeah. Which at the time, I'm guessing that no. kind of heightening was, didn't exist on television. No. That's why the show was so good is because and I think that's why we recognize it as being good now yeah. you and I is that it it's hearkening to the things that we like about comedy now. It's basic like sketch writing stuff that other shows don't get to. Like one of the one of my favorite sketch writing like tricks or whatever was like you write your sketch, you write your five-page sketch, and then the sketch teacher would be like, "Okay, cool. Uh condense all five of those pages into the first page and then write. Like, because the instinct being, you're never going to push it as far as it should go to be funny. You're going to be like, wow. well, they start doing a thing with waffles, and then it goes to, like, hamburgers, and then it goes to steaks. When it's like, no, it needs to go to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible example. But, like, but so this, I think a, a normal episode would probably end with, John Aston and with like the Dickens and Finster like, you don't think it's funny? Get out of here. That's it. Yeah. That's where we expect it to end. But then they push past to like this heightening to a brawl <laughs> between construction workers. We ri- like rival gangs, like they formed gangs. West Side Story, which was John Aston's national film debut. Oh, what, he was in West. He was a he was like a TV show host or something. Oh. He was like a host of a thing. Well. I have not seen West Side Story in like twenty years. Um, but yeah, uh, so then we like dissolve or whatever to the entire construction crew is bandaged up. Like one is on a gurney and they're going to accept this safety award. (laughs) Uh, and so the boss walks in and he gets like applause. Like again, like we've already seen him once. He walks in, he gets war applause because again, people love Duval. Frank Duval? Duval. Uh, D-E-V-O-L. Oh, D- oh okay. Nah. When when he was an actor, he went by Frank Duval. When he was a musician, he he got rid of the Frank. So you can find albums of Duval music oh, were wow. arranged by Duval but in television credits, movie credits, Frank Duval. That's wild. Uh, so Professional. So, so they, professional. So he's like, well, let me hear this joke. It's so... Dickens tells him the joke, and he's like... That's a funny joke. In fact, that's the most hilarious joke I've heard in years. You know, right now, I'm hysterical with laughter. Uh, pardon me while I catch my breath. <laughs> deadpan. It's like, so deadpan. It also he's like legitimately like that. It's very funny. <laughs> yeah. And so then he tells everyone to leave, and then we get this fucking weird joke. It was talking about vanity. Because everyone wants, every, all the other people were like, why does he get to tell a joke? We want to make a speech, you know, we all want to do something. We're going to be on stage, we want to perform. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, it's because you're going to be on stage, you don't need to perform. And then he starts saying vanity. Everyone's vain, vanity. Yeah, everyone's so concerned about vanity. Why is everyone so concerned about vanity these days? It's not that important. So then he says, I have a lunch date, and he sends everyone out, and he's still talking about vanity, and he goes off into, in his little closet, and talking about everyone is so vain, and about image, and he walks out with a toupee. A toupee and an ascot that he's put on. And it's... Is he checking himself out in a mirror, too? Like, he's like, ah, vanity, and then he walks out. What is that? 
I, it, it is a great joke. I should have expected something like that. I was expecting like a weird hat or something yeah. like that. Not a toupee. Yeah. <laughs> really wild. Uh, so then we get the actual awards show, which is where you really see that it is a live thing. Or not, or like, in front of an audience, because the Duvall, he says, now they're all going to say, so we've just heard this, uh, you know, thank you for condensing all of your safety knowledge into a tight hour 43. Now we're... Uh, they're going to make brief farewells, brief thank you speeches. Yeah. Now- which I caught really quick. It's like, if this was not shot in front of an audience, they would have definitely been like, okay, cut, you yep. said the wrong thing. Let's, but because they're in front of an audience, they're like, we gotta... There were a couple this. times I noticed that, yeah. especially with, with, with Frank Duvall, he did say, he, he stumbled over his words. They wanted bit. that, like, hot Duvall action. Yeah. He, he gave it. So then we get all the speeches. So Bob comes out. Oh, what was Bob's thing? Uh, that was... Oh, he had the, I have a hundred... A hundred <laughs> points... Of safety. Yeah. Like, number one, diligence. Number two. two, perspicacity. And then Duvall leans into it. He has a name besides Duvall, but we just keep calling him Frank Duvall. Leans in and whispers something, and then he goes, 99. Yeah. uh, Always look out for the other guy. And number 100, diligence diligence again. (laughs) And so then Mel comes out, and his thing is about, like, he's like, Staying fit, yeah. <laughs> He's like getting that body type. It's basically. very strange. It's very like you. Everyone keep you keep asking me, and then they cut to Duvall. And he's like, I'm not asking you anything. <laughs> and you then he's asking me how you how you look so good. Well, I do this, this, and this. And then you keep asking me what exercises do you do? And it comes back to Duvall, and he's like, No, I don't know. And so then he starts doing his exercises, which are these very bizarre. Like, bend-overs? Like, it was very <laughs> jarring when he did it the first time, because he bends over really fast, and it almost looks like his head is hitting his ankles. Like, it is that quick of a... That quick and that complete of a bend-over. This is also... Like, let's point out that there is no precedent for any of this. I, no, this I, is... who I mean, maybe this is in other episodes. I doubt it. I didn't think that anyone was going to speak besides yeah, Harry Dickens. Yeah. They made this big thing as he's going to give the speech, and then suddenly everyone else from the construction crew is getting yeah. up and giving short speeches. And he, he says, like, keep it brief, keep it, like, because uh, Duvall's like, move it on, guys, like, we gotta do Because the mayor spent an hour and 40 minutes yeah. talking about safety. So. And so then, uh, so then we get uh, Finster's routine, which they introduce him as, like, Arch Finster and the Finsterettes. They didn't call him Arch Finster. It's, diff- it's a different name, and I don't I know why they did it. that. But... He's dancing with the Finsterettes, who are like three Rockettes, basically, and they do like a safety song and dance number. Safety first. Safety first. Safety last. Safety last. Safety always. Always, always, always. And I like, honestly, that's my jam. I, I wish that I could just do shit like what Marty Ingalls is doing at that moment. Just like a big, brassy, stupid song and dance number. It looked like so much fun. It came out of nowhere. That's the whole thing about this show is that, you know, I, I've watched TV for 39 years. Yeah. You've watched TV for 34 years. And we kind of expect certain things to come in and out. Especially knowing this is 1962. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so you're either going to get really hokey, not funny things for children, or you're going to get very, like, slow and smart stuff like Dick Van Dyke show. Yeah. You're not going to get this thing in the middle, which is, like, hilarious to kind of both. Like, children and adults would find this hilarious, because it's it's almost like watching, like, really good Looney Tunes. Like, it's yeah. very straightforward, very ridiculous. And then, it's so, it's, it, in a matter of succession, you, you, you're you expecting 
John Aston to give a speech. Suddenly there's a, a guy giving a speech about points of safety. That There's a gag with that. A guy doing exercises. Okay, where did that come from? <laughs> then there's a song and dance with yeah. four people. And I'm like, what is, what is the show? <laughs> this is nothing happened. This is what happened. Uh, and so then we finally get to... So at the point when uh, Finster or Dickens comes out to give a speech, they pre- he's presented it with Miss Safety, which is like a hot woman in a bathing suit, basically. Yeah. Like one of those, like... 50s yeah. bathing suits? The one piece. He's, like, flustered at this, because it gets, like, hot lady, I guess. Was that... Well, also, like, he's also just watched everyone do things that are way more complicated than a joke. Yeah. And then this hot woman is giving him the award, and then she tells his joke. Yep. Which I did not see coming. She tells his joke. And it, she does it in her, like, very, like, slow and weird way. And then it comes to him... And he just, like, mumbles. He, like, his voice is really hoarse. He's very nervous. And he just says, like, There are a lot of doctors on television. (laughs) The the only channel I watch is 98.6. And then he faints. Then he fucking faints. Yeah, with with the broadest faint. Yeah. Like, eyes rolling. Yeah. Like, him, like spinning his head around like it's great yeah. right, so then and then we get the stinger which I didn't write down wait what happened this, and the stinger is back at the house right because it's uh, his wife tells him that tweet joke how does a 300 pound canary sing tweet <laughs> <laughs> but it's like they're like it's like a 10 second thing before the credits roll yeah and she's making fun of him because I think because his his performance was so bad and his voice was well, he started yeah. talking like this because <laughs> he got nervous. Then the credits roll. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at Blue dot com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We find out that this episode was sponsored by Crest. Like things were. And shot at Desilu, which is also where Dick Van Dyke was shot. That makes me wonder, did, what was Desilu's policy on audiences and canned laughter? They might have been anti it if both, like, if Dick Van Dyke, yeah. I Love Lucy, and I'm Dickens, he's Finster. <laughs> the three that go hand in hand <laughs> in hand, if they all had, didn't use it. Yeah. Which makes sense because Lucy essentially invented the, like, three camera setup. Yeah. Like, that show pioneered it, so they would probably want all their shows to do that. And wasn't Lucy the the audio that they used for... Oh, yeah, like, a lot of that canned laughter would yeah. come from I Love Lucy, I do believe. Or at least yeah. that's, like, the urban legend. 
So, are you ready for some must-have facts about this? And on, like, even more? I, I, I'm in this. Like, I mean, I'm in this to win this. I love I, this. I mean, I actually don't have that many compared to what we've already said. I'm Dickens. He's Fenster. Starring John Aston, Marty Ingalls, with Emmeline Henry. Created and produced by Leonard Stern. Ratings for this episode, who the fuck knows? Obviously not good enough. And this is also at the halfway mark of the season, so the ratings are probably not that good. Well, according to the the oh, its own website for yeah. to sell the DVD, so biased. <laughs> a lot of celebrities that they interviewed had good things to say about the show. Oh yeah. So they had Carl Weiner. A lot Weiner, of testimonials. They had um, Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby. Um, I can't remember any any other names. They had like maybe four or five like yeah, it was a well known comedians. Like, this yeah. Jay Leno. Oh yeah, people Leno. saying like, oh, I loved this show when it came Such out. Such a jail. You could totally see child Jay Leno loving this show. Um, so the top of the top five shows of this uh, TV season tied for number four were the Lucy Show and Bonanza. Tied for number two was Candid Camera and the Red Skelton Show, and number one was the Beverly Hillbillies. So that is what you're dealing with. So the ABC's Friday night lineup, also this aired on Friday nights, which, I don't know, maybe that was a big draw in the 60s. Considering what it was up against. Yeah. Was, which was um, Route 66, which is a very popular drama, and Sing Along with Mitch, which was a very popular music show. I was just killed. So the ABC Friday night lineup was a uh, cop drama? No, 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 no. It was a World War II drama called The Gallant Men. Nope, never heard of it. The Flintstones. Oh, yeah, this was the lead in. And then I'm Dickens, he's Finster. And then uh, the cop drama, 77 Sunset Strip. Like, what's a, that, is a, that is a weird night of television. Is yes, that the theme song? Those were 77 Sunset okay. Strip. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was canceled because of low ratings, but after they canceled it is when it finally beat Route 77 in the ratings. Route 66? Route 66. I beat it in the ratings a bit. Yeah, which is weird. It seems like... I guess there's like paperwork they can't undo. But it seems like if you cancel the show and then all of a sudden it picks up in the ratings when you'd be like, oh, whoops. I mean, that does happen nowadays. Yeah, and sometimes the show gets canceled and sometimes it survives. So it is weird. Um... The IMDb rating is nothing because no one has rated this episode. No one has seen this episode. What would you give it on a scale of 1 to 10? Jeez, I'd give this like an 8, maybe a 9. This was a fantastic... Well, I think that... I would say 8.6. I would give it that. I think that that it had some of those kind of like hokey TV moments, but there was so much of it that I was just not expecting and loved. I honestly was expecting to be bored. (laughs) To be honest... (laughs) Also, because I watched the pilot and it wasn't that good. Or I watched like, the first act of the pilot and I was like, this is paint dry. <laughs> yeah. And so the, this happening, I was like, this is really good. By episode 11, they figured it out. So after I'm Dickensy Spinster is canceled, a comic book series starts. Okay. <laughs> because the first issue was dated May, June 63 and the series ended in like May 63. So it probably hit newsstands in March, April. Yeah. So like, also, there was I'm Dickens, he's Spencer coloring books. Because I saw those. Also, the art in those, worse than the comics. But, I, I mean, I want to look this up. How many issues I look the comic this up came officially. out? Officially. Only two did. Okay, so there were two issues. 
Ethan found both of them. He read both. I could... I barely made it through the one. Well, I want to make sure that, that there were officially I'm Dickens, He's Fenster comic books and not part of a larger series. Oh, not like... Because Dell is it Dell or Gold King? It was it was Dell, and Dell would do that with their comics. That would be like Dell presents. Right. What else did Dell do? Did they do oh, Star my... Wars or Star Trek? I mean, yeah, like or well, Star Trek was Gold Key. De- Gold Key, Dell, and Whitman were all kind of like they oh. shared properties a lot of the time. But if you see any of the old comics that were about TV shows, yeah, and literally virtually every show that you've done on this program has had a comic book from Dell. Like, there was a Mr. Ed comic book, there was an Andy Griffith show Oh, wow. Oh, this doesn't need to be a thing that I get into. How expensive? I don't. I'll it look it up later. Because they... There's a collector's market for it, but nowhere near the level of, I think that, like, anything that you Considering collect. that behind you is a wall of comic books and behind me is a wall of sitcom art, I think this is... <laughs> I think I do uh, fall into the market here. Uh, so, well, so you, we both read these issues before watching the show. Did reading those comics make you worried about what we were going to watch tonight? I, I, part of me said yes. A bigger part of me is like, no, this is the crap that those comics were back in that time. Yeah. It's, okay, we watched an episode of I'm Dickensee's Fenster where... It's a very simple, simple premise. They work on a construction site. They have to do a presentation in front of people. There's a misunderstanding about a joke. The comic book, of course, has to do something that you can't do in the TV show. Yeah. So what do they do? First issue, there's a robot. Well, a mad scientist builds a robot. The, the, so, like, page one is Finster comes home and sits in Dickens's like, hydro chair. And Dickens, like, pumps it up and it shoots Finster through the roof. Yeah. And then they leave, and then the wife is like, you need to go mow the lawn. So they tie a goat to a tree to eat grass, I guess. And they're like, <laughs> we gotta go uh, do a job. And they go to the job, and there's a mad scientist, and he has a robot. They fight with the robot a little bit. Then they break the robot, they rebuild the robot, and then Finster's like, I'm gonna become the robot. So he makes a robot suit to scare fit to scare Dickens. And then, like, it's... It honestly feels like they were like, you gotta have a comic out tomorrow. <laughs> and it's just like, honestly, start page one, panel one, and just go. No forethought. Also, the art was like, the art was, so, uh, the, he had basically three, a... he had three different fa- facial, they had fa- three different facial expressions, and they just used those over and over again. Yeah. That one shot of a Finster being like, whoop, I'm surprised, was used every other page. <laughs> I, I thought it was funny that, like, they, it, in every picture of John Aston, they chose to accentuate one of three things. Yeah. His teeth, which are, like, four little, little yeah. <laughs> semicircles coming at him from under a lip. His nose, which yeah. in profile, they, they, they call out his nose, and his forehead. Yeah. His forehead is huge. Well, I will also say John Aston is a unique looking individual. They... And, and he is he is very fun to draw as someone <laughs> who has two things in tpublic.com that you can buy. So... <laughs> his likeness. The comic is... God, what happens in issue two? Because I okay. honestly... I have read some garbage in my time. I It was hard to get through that first one. First one is a breath of fresh air compared to the second. Let me <laughs> Let me run this down for you. Dickens and Fenster are at their their respective at Dickens's house where all the action takes place. 
he gets a call saying that one of his fan club wants to him to work on some shelves. So hold on, Dickens is a fan club? That's how he says it. Okay, he, okay. I okay. doubt it. He, he, they get invited to um, this place to, to build some shelves. It might be a museum. It might be a <laughs> college. It's very, it's very vague. And they go by, and they go by a cemetery. This place is right across the street from the cemetery. And I'm like, oh, this maybe has a thing. The person that hired them is this very tall man with a bald head and completely bald. And he's wearing a black suit, very creepy looking. And he's got kids with him. And the kids ride along with Dickens and Fenster. And one of them doesn't talk, which is very weird. I'm like, <laughs> okay, so maybe that kid's a robot. And then they get to the place. And there are two medical doctors there, just there. And they're like, oh, you're going to build the shelves. (laughs) And so they're like, okay, we're going to start working on the shelves. And then, like, the kids start playing pranks on them that get them hurt. And so then the doctors come in and they're like, oh, you should be more careful. We're going to wrap up your your busted head. And that's we're going to take that off your your cost, like, off, off your bill. Like, so you, you have to pay us for the medical services. And this happens a couple times. And then the, the kids dress up like mummies and they, <laughs> they, they, they pounce out of a box. So they get all scared of the mummies. And then, uh, I'm trying to remember this because I just read this the other night. And, and then there's a gorilla that starts walking around. Of course. And that they're, they, and like, it's diffused in like two panels where they're like, oh my god, there's a gorilla. And the, the bald guy's like, oh, that must be our mechanical gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> and like, the, the injured, like, they get injured again. Oh. And then the doctors come back. The doctors come back like three times repeatedly. Oh. And like, so. And so the, none of it's paid off. <laughs> Why is there the a cemetery? Where are they doing? Like the ki- what are the kids doing? Like, are the kids real? Are the kids just bad kids? Like it is. It, it's so. It's it so is, bizarre. I, I can see why they would choose. I could. It's weird. <laughs> I I want to know why they were made. Why they chose on Dickens East Finster to get comic books and coloring books. Uh. Like it's b- bizarre. Once when when we're done recording, when you have some time tonight or tomorrow, read the second issue and try to make any sense of it. I'll read it to, backwards and try to make it through it because I was just like, "This well, also, is dumb. I don't want to read this." So the file was like thirty six pages, and I was like, "Well, that's got to be some ads in there, right?" Comic book is twenty to twenty two pages. Yeah. Period. So there's fully. 14 extra pages in this thing. Like, this, this doesn't so need to happen. Yeah. They just keep going. So back to the good <laughs> I'm Dickensy's Finster. The who TV would, show. Who would you say had the must-see performance in this episode? Uh, Frank Duvall. Okay. I would say Frank Duvall. I, I, it's a toss-up between... I was going to say John Aston, and then I was looking at Frank Duvall and just being like, he's got these great deadpan lines. Very good. And he's he's just... He's the one, he was even the MC at the point. He's the one pushing, propelling oh, right, the yeah. episode forward. He has some really good, like, microfilm work. Like, yep. gags with it, like, physical stuff. Very good. Some good takes to the camera. Yep. Like, he, he's the glue that's keeping all these weird pieces together. He's just kind of, like, you know, getting yeah. it, moving it down the assembly line. And I thought that he was the must-see performance. Great. Although, John Aston had 
that unbelievably good moment where he starts telling the joke to the kid, and I lost it. I lost it. It was which so is good. why John Aston is my most performer, as he probably will be in anything I do that he's in. I just like so over the over on John Aston's birthday to celebrate hashtag John Aston Day. I watched his appearances on uh, in the Twilight Zone. He was in the episode of the Twilight Zone. I watched his episodes of Partridge Family. I watched his episodes of Welcome Back, Cotter, and I just watched three episodes of Murder She Wrote that he was in. And the thing that I love, which is totally on display here when he's a 32-year-old man and not the, like, more mature guy that I've seen on everything else, he just is so committed. He imbues everything with a manic sense of, like, glee and life that I just find so pleasing to watch. Do you happen to remember what the name of the Welcome Back Cotter episode was? The Museum. Uh, that Which was, also has a mummy in it, so... I was going to say, that was not one of the episodes that Norman Abbott directed, but he directed 23 episodes of Welcome Back, Cotter. Oh, wow. Which also had a comic book, but at, unlike all the others, it was actually released by DC Comics, which oh. is a real publisher. Oh, wow, that's great. <laughs> not to say that Dell was not a real publisher, but for them to say... Welcome Back, Cotter gets its own DC. Yeah, DC that's was big. a big seller. Crossover you know. with Batman, etc. <laughs> uh, must other people see this episode? Hell's yeah! This yeah. is great. It, it it might be on YouTube, but honestly, the weird thing is, is you can pay two bucks and get an episode or eighteen and get all of it on Prime. It was on Prime. Maybe iTunes too, but I bought it on Prime, uh, and it's just there, hanging out. Very weird. You can also buy the DVD for kind of cheap. But you'll never get that volume two unless, again, whoever runs the website and is keeping that copyright up, please get in touch with me. <laughs> uh, let's keep tradition going. Oh, and breaking out the next. Let's see. Maybe this will be the next big uh, show I, that we have to watch. Um, choose a year uh, between forty-nine and eighty-three. Can I do nineteen eighty? Yeah. The year of that I was born. Do you want to hear about checking in? I'm a big girl now. <laughs> or ladies man. Oh, they all seem so loaded. Um let's go with ladies man, although I'm sure everyone wants to hear about I'm a big girl now. <laughs> yeah. do, you, do you want which one do you want to talk about, Brett? I mean, I'm very interested in I'm a big girl now. Okay, you're the host. <laughs> Sorry. So, Diane Canova, daughter of Judy and alumna of Soap, where she played Corinne Tate Flotsky for three seasons, teamed up with Danny Thomas, playing her father, Benjamin Douglas, oh. in this rather drab show, <laughs> according to critics anyway, about a divorced woman named Diana Cassidy, who comes home to live with her suddenly single father, a dentist. Naturally, he was cantankerous because his wife has run off to Spain with Ira, his partner. She was obviously into teeth. The point of the show, well, the title tells the tale. Is it too late to talk about Ladies' Man? <laughs> to add some comic relief to the comic relief were Diana's daughter Rebecca, though everyone called her Becky, played by Rory King, Benjamin's neurotic son, and therefore Diana's neurotic brother, Walter, played by Michael Durrell, Edie, the ultra-tense boss at the research center where Diana worked, played by Cherie North, Lou Grant's occasional girl on the Mary Tyler Moore show. I know her. Actor comic Martin Short. Hot off the previous seasons The Associates and before he went on to SCTV, played a character named Neil Stryker. A sample plotline, after a crank call, Edie moves in with Diana. Meanwhile, Neil installs a security system that has the two women scared to go into the house. And ABC canceled the show mid-season, proving that you can't go home again. Yeah. Oh. 
That was fun. I, that sounds interminable. <laughs> so you don't, um... I, I, that Martin one, Short doesn't save that for you? <laughs> not when he's like a footnote like that. Yeah. I mean, if, if that was... Danny his, Thomas and Martin Short. If that was if that was Martin Short's star-making turn, I'd be more interested in it. However, it got canceled halfway. I've never, personally, and this is this is me being a bad person, I never found Danny Thomas to be funny. Oh, I've never, I don't think I've ever actually seen him in anything. My dad would watch Make Room for Daddy. Yeah. And I was just like, this is, it, I could not, I could not stand he, it. I was thinking about this the other Marlo day. He gave us Thomas, that's all I care yeah, about. Yeah, and he gave us, and he gave us Andy Griffith's show and a bunch yeah. of other stuff. Oh, that's right. But, but I, I personally never found Danny Thomas to be, I thought he was a, a fine actor. I thought he was, he, he played his roles well. I didn't think that he was funny. Yeah. Fair enough. We'll do Father Knows Best on here at some point with you. I'll drag you in here, kicking this guy. <laughs> but you know what does deserve uh, to be checked out again? I'm Dickens He's Fist. I'm, I'm like, I, I mean, I, I might, I'm trying to decide if I want to buy the DVD and get that disc of extras. Oh, uh, there's apparently a whole lot of commentary. Would tracks. now? Would you? Would you buy it from the website and risk putting your credit card information I don't think out so. there? I don't think so. <laughs> or... That shit's been hacked, definitely. <laughs> uh, no, I'll be buying this through Amazon. Not even third-party seller. Direct. You're not... You're, prime that. You're it's not prime. Gonna, you're not going to get your name in the credits of, of season two, or second half of the season. I feel and... like since we've just spent 73 minutes talking about I'm Dickensy's Finster, which I can guarantee you is the most anyone has talked about Dickens and Finster in all of 2019. You know that somewhere in Hollywood there's a box of autographed cards for all the stars that they were going to give away with with the second... DVD that set. DVD set, that website does not look like a major. That it looks like someone decided I'm gonna do this. Well, what do you? What's you gonna? You have the rights to I'm Dickensy's Fenster. How? We, okay, I put this to you. <laughs> if you had the rights, if you were a person who owned the rights to this very strange show starring oh, some good people, right? Yeah. Would you quietly release this? Or would you try to make as big a noise as you could oh. to drum up an interest? You'd make noise. That's what they were doing. you would make noise by... Oh, God. Well, you would, I don't know. You'd interview Jay Leno. You'd get a <laughs> yes. quote from Mel Cosby, Carl <laughs> uh, Reiner. I'm trying to remember the other the people. There's you the... want to put money... You want to do what they did, but just do it better like hire someone that knows how to make a website i feel i'm so sorry webmaster who i'm no. sure is listening but like you want to do like a nice new hey new squarespace looking site actually i would commission someone to actually make a documentary like a nice like 10 minute featurette about the show oh, talk nice. and like that like talk to uh people i would and then you would get here's what i would do john mulaney kumail nanjiani maria bamford i would grab modern comics pay them to like do track or like to watch it, talk about it. I would do a companion podcast to uh, show that this show from 60 years ago has a very modern sensibility from this one episode we've watched. If given the opportunity, let's say you are Mr. Producer in Hollywood and, and you stumbled across this DVD set, would you want to remake this? Uh, I was already thinking about that. See, that's the thing of... I mean, you could. <laughs> I mean, oh, hey, yeah. it, it's hey, it's IP, baby. <laughs> people love pre-awareness. Six people love this show. Uh, but or I think the, the draw is really Aston and Ingalls. So it's one of those like when you're remaking a show, you're kind of deciding 
is this a thing where the premise is strong enough that you can sub in, like, sorry, Ghostbusters is a solid premise. You can slot, I love Ghostbusters, you could totally slot anyone into those, mm-hmm. that weird uh, cartoon did in the late 90s. Yeah. Ghostbusters Extreme or whatever. Um, busting ghosts makes everyone feel good. <laughs> um, it's a strong enough premise to withstand switching out leads. I don't know if Carpenters with Pratt Falls is a strong enough premise. People don't do Pratt Falls as comedy anymore. So I think if you were rebooting it, you would keep like the character names. We are really going to be focusing on more so than the premise is the tone, is the style, yeah. is the like. We're not doing ABC plot lines. We're doing like heightening, like not even like rest of development, which would have like three plot lines in an episode. You'd be like, no, we're doing this one thing, and we're doing it hard and fast and weird. And that's like, why that's why you always come back to rest of development is because when they heightened games, they didn't just it wasn't waffles, pancakes, uh, steaks. Yeah. It was it was one of the few <laughs> shows that I can point to and be like. And now there's a rocket man fighting a mole in a tiny town. Yeah. And the, it, it just heightened and built to that. And you're like, this is yeah exactly where I did not expect this to go. And so I think you could do that with Carpenters. And maybe like Dickens and Fencer is a fun thing. Uh, like the names. I don't know. I'm giving this this episode a lot of credit. I'm, I'm, ex- I'm expecting this to be the exemplar for the entire series. Yeah. Now, you know, the episode that might have come after it might have been like... Oh no, we can't build the boat. Uh, there's water getting in the boat. Oh, we're bad carpenters. Goodbye. No. <laughs> I, I don't know. This is based on this one example that we both love. Yeah, <laughs> unapologetically love yeah, the show. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Everyone, everyone brought their A game. Everyone had a little bit of of work that they could do, like a little bit of business. That like, I thought that. John Aston, if you're listening. Sean Aston, if you're listening. Mackenzie Aston, if you're listening. Jennifer Aston. Uh, M- Michael Mills. Uh, Keith Olbermann. <laughs> Keith Olbermann. If you're listening, we <laughs> liked this show. We thought everyone did a great job. The jokes were hit. The direction was great. Yeah. It was just like... Please get... Can I talk to John Aston, please? <laughs> please? Uh, no one gets to see Oz. Not nobody. Not no Well, one. I mean, if you listen to that Gilbert Gottfried episode, they took them two years to finally get John Aston. Oh, because this is what I really want to mention. I probably should mention this up top. Donate to the John Aston Fund. Yes. Mr. Aston, feels weird calling him John, uh, has been on staff at uh, Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore for like the last 20 years running their theater department, like high up in their theater department, trying to make uh, that college known for medicine. Yeah. Uh Trying to like actually like beef up their theater department. I I think it's so cool that he's still teaching like actors, like still like you know giving back at this age. I always knew like I always knew that he never stopped. No, there, there's some people who were just like, well, I'm done. That was a thing that I did. And I always knew that John Aston kept going and he was still active. He was still touring with his uh, one man Edgar Allan Poe show, Edgar Edgar Allan Poe show, like until very recently. Yeah. Like, I think every year on, like, Poe's birthday, he would do a reading of The Raven. And I literally was trying to find out more information because I was going to drive to Baltimore. (laughs) (laughs) I need to meet him. Um, I've driven to Baltimore, Brett. I think we drove to Baltimore together. Yeah, we did drive to Baltimore. Baltimore Comic Con 2008. 
or something. Uh, so, <laughs> After that, I drove with my dad in a convertible and I sunburned my head like all hell. <laughs> so that was the last time I was in Baltimore. <laughs> so yeah, I would love to go uh, and see that. He also was just in a play last fall and I again debate at, at Johns Hopkins. John Hopkins? John's, Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins. Uh, and I debated again driving down there and going to see him in a play. Uh, uh, and I didn't. So I'm going to regret that. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for coming out talking about I'm Dickensy Spencer. Everyone check out the John Aston Fund and also check out this show. Um, Ethan, where can people talk to you on the internet or whatever about I'm Dickensy Spencer? I'm trying to get off the internet as much Please. as I can. Honestly, like, yeah, we all should. Uh, I, I have... I talk have, to people. I, IRL. I, de- I deactivated my Twitter account just because I wasn't... I was like posting like angry political things during around elections and nothing else. I'm like, this is not a good representative if I'm looking for work. Yeah. So, like, I, I'm still at this week's Batman, where I write fake things about Batman. Content. Uh, I'm also on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, Orkut. <laughs> MySpace. Friendster. I, have a, I found a live journal from a couple years ago where I wrote about oh. uh, just books I'd read. It's not a, it's not I a have good a, time. If Zanga's still around, I had a Zanga. Uh, um, because I was in college and all my high school co-workers at the movie theater were on Zanga. And I was like, what is this? Okay, <laughs> I'll do this. Just follow this week's Batman yeah. on Twitter <laughs> and I'll write some fun stuff. And you can laugh at it. And I'll be back on this podcast, I hope. Yeah, I'm white. He's gay. <laughs> And you've been listening to Must Have Seen TV. Maybe that's how I'll sign off from now. And that does it for this week's episode of Must Have Seen TV. Thanks again to my guest Ethan K for dropping by and talking about I'm Dickens. He's Finster with me. Next time I'll be discussing who knows. But seriously, I don't yet know. Uh, there might be a little bit of a break before the next episode. So go on and follow and must have CTV on Twitter, and I will let everyone know what episode we're going to be watching when I get it all scheduled out. So until then, I want to hear from all of you. Please tweet your questions about sitcoms to must have CTV on Twitter. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook at must have CTV. And if you like what you've heard, rate and review the show in iTunes. Thanks to everyone that has been rating and reviewing the show in Apple Podcasts. It really helps out. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Brett White. Read my words at Decider.com. The theme song is Apollo Throwdown by The Go Team. Thanks to ACAST for hosting the podcast. Thanks to y'all for listening, and I'll see you next time on Must Have Seen TV. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.